G'day and welcome to episode 28 of The Other Side Australia for March 24 to 30, 2021. This is your weekly summary of the best news and views from a classical liberal perspective. I'm Damien Curry, the cranky man who thinks the country's lost its mind. This week we have ScoMo apologising, the media screeching, ScoMo apologising again, the media screeching again. We have the latest on China's assertive, some might say aggressive, new stance in the world. You need to know what's going on there. We take a look at the floods and climate change. There's got to be a link, right? Big Brother in the Bedroom. We'll tell you about that. And the failure of the Grammys to pull an audience as people turn off woke culture. If you're new to the show, just our usual full proud disclosure, we're totally self-funded and we are biased. Biased towards traditional Western cultural values, institutions, classical liberalism, small business and free market economics. Free markets, free people, individual rights and liberty. We are anti-left and anti-woke on this show and we do not pretend to be neutral like some programs and networks do. And we don't cost you a cent. You only have to stay and watch our content if you choose to. And it's free. What do you got to lose? Let's go. Well, it'd be hard to miss this week's story of nuttiness from Canberra, but in case you did or only caught bits and pieces of it, we're going to shut up all the ranting from the left-wing journos and take you through it nice and slow in summary. A federal government staffer who filmed himself performing a lewd act on the Parliament House desk of the female MP he worked for has been sacked. The story was broken by one of the least balanced reporters in the press gallery, Peter Van Onselen, on Monday. It was Pivo attacking the Devos. But credit where credit is due. This is a story that needs no beating up, pardon the pun, to cause the government major embarrassment at a time that it at least needs it. Pivo reported that at least four coalition staffers were swapping graphic videos of their sexual encounters in parliamentary offices on Facebook Messenger over a two-year period. The whistleblower, who admitted he himself was one of the group, also revealed that staff and MPs often had sex in a room reserved for meditation or prayer. It's moral bankruptcy. Here's Network 10's The Project discussing the story on Monday night. How damaging is this for the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison? I mean, he's ultimately the head honcho, uh, and the behaviour that's going on inside Parliament House has to lay at someone's desk. I mean, have you sought comment from him, and what do you think he can now say about this? I certainly know that his office is interested in getting to the bottom of this. I mean, they're not interested in harbouring anyone involved in these sort of activities. And I suspect that that is where uh, this particular staff are getting sacked has come from uh, that we know about already. But it's certainly damaging to Scott Morrison. There's no doubt about that. And it's damaging to his government because of wider issues uh, in the treatment of women in particular, because it's MPs who are women, liberal female members of parliament who have had this done on their desk, solo sex acts, as I reported at five o'clock. It's just beyond belief, frankly. It is. Now, Scott Morrison had no choice but to front up and address these matters in a news conference Tuesday. It was an important news conference and one we need to listen to a good slab of before we start commenting on it. So this show is committed to not chopping things to bits, unlike the mainstream media. We know you have a brain and can cope with more than 20-second sound bites. If you've already heard the Prime Minister, you can jump forward eight minutes. But if you haven't, you might appreciate knowing what he said on the matter almost in full, so you can make up your own mind. I'm shocked and I'm disgusted. It is shameful. It is just absolutely shameful. I was completely stunned, as I have been on more than one occasion over the course of this last month. All of this has been shocking 
It has been disgraceful. It has been a month of such reports. Indeed, reports involving the conduct of staff and of, of coalition government members and ministers. But as you know, reports of equally disgraceful and despicable activity anonymised of those working in other parties. We must get this House in order. We must put the politics aside on these things and we must recognise this problem, acknowledge it, and we must fix it. This has been a very traumatic month. It began with Brittany Higgins and her revelations of what took place in this very building. I remember that day very well. I was equally shocked and stunned at receiving that news also. These events have triggered right across this building and indeed right across the country. Women who have put up with this rubbish and this crap for their entire lives, as their mothers did, as their grandmothers did. And it's been going on. We've been talking about it in this place for a month. They've been living with it for their entire lives. And the women listening to me today know that to be true. So as much as it has been a topic of discussion here and around the country, specifically in relation to these disgraceful acts, it is something that has been the lived experience of Australian women for a very long time. And I welcome the spotlight that is now being placed on this. I acknowledge that many have not liked or appreciated some of my own personal responses to this over the course of the last month, and I accept that. Whether that was seeking to openly share how I try and deal with such traumatic events. People might like the fact that I discuss these with my family, they're the closest people in my world to me. That's how I deal with things, I always have. I've grown up in a loving, supportive family and I discuss these things with my family and those who are closest to me. No offence was intended by me saying that I discuss these issues with my wife. And equally, that is in no way any indication that these, effects, these events had not already traumatically affected me already at that point. Equally, I accept that many were unhappy with the language that I used on the day of the protests. No offence was intended by that either. I could have chosen different words. I've already explained those matters in the House. But what I'm more, even more concerned about, even more importantly, I acknowledge that many Australians, especially women, believe that I haven't heard them. And that greatly distresses me. I've been doing a lot of listening over this past month, but not for the first time. Now's not the time for me to run over, whether as a Minister for Immigration or a Treasurer or a Minister for Social Services, the keen interest I've shown in these issues. I'm not going to do that today. But particularly on these issues over the course of the last month, I have been listening carefully. I've had many colleagues, I've had many friends and others that I have regular contact with talk to me openly about the issues and the traumatic things that they've had to deal with over their lifetimes and, and members of their family. Let me tell you what I've heard. Women are too afraid to call out bad behaviour for fear of losing a job or being intimidated in their workplace. 
That's not okay. And it's not their fault. It's the environment we've allowed to be created. Women are afraid to walk to their car from the train. And they carry their keys in their hand like a knife for fear of being attacked. That's not okay. That's not acceptable. That in this country, a country as great as Australia, women walk daily in that fear. I've heard that women are overlooked, talked over by men, whether it's in boardrooms, in meeting rooms, in staff rooms, in media conferences, in cabinets, or anywhere else. Overlooked and treated like they have nothing valuable to contribute. I've heard about being marginalised, women being intimidated, women being belittled, women being diminished, and women being objectified. That's not okay. It must be acknowledged, it must be called out, and it must stop. That's all our job. It's my job. It's my minister's jobs. It's my members and senators' jobs. It's your job. This is not something that is of a scale that any government can simply change. It is something we must change as a society because we know it happens all over this country. But for me and my house, the house I work in here, then we must take responsibility. It's our problem here. It's our responsibility here. And I am committed to dealing with that. We must do better in this place, all of us. And in our country, we must do better. Now, forgive me the indulgence. Forgive me this indulgence. I want women to have at least the same opportunities and the same voice and the same safety as men in this country. I have the deepest of vested interests. Criticise me, if you like, for speaking about my daughters, but they are the centre of my life. My wife is the centre of my life. My mother, my widowed mother, is the centre of my life. They motivate me every day on this issue. They have motivated me my entire life. They have taught me the values and the faith that sustains me every single day in this job, which is why I'm here. I owe them everything. And to them, I say to you girls, I will not let you down. To the many other women who are in this place, who have shared their stories with me, I thank you for your feedback, your honesty, your support, your counsel, and your courage. I know there are plenty of women who are working in this building today, whether they be members or senators or ministers, shadow ministers, staff, journalists, who say, why should I bother? Why should I bother?
Why shouldn't I just walk away? There has never been a more important time for women to stand in this place. I want to see more women in this place. I've done many things to get more women in this place, and I intend to do more. I've put more women in my cabinet than any other Prime Minister ever has before, and I look forward to doing more. I need women to stand with me as we go about this. As we stand together, I need them to stand in this place. I need them to stand right where they are. I need them to continue to that blaze that trail right here in this place. I admire their courage and I call on it. Questions? Okay, so that's what the PM said in full without every woke journo spewing their opinions all over it. Now, we often hear from the left-wing lovies defending their ABC how right-wing the Murdoch media are, how there's no left-wing media in Australia, as if a $1.2 billion taxpayer-funded national broadcaster isn't enough for them. So let's see how the evil right-wing Murdoch media went with ScoMo during question time at the press conference Tuesday. First, here's a question from Murdoch's Sky News Australia's federal political reporter, Andrew Clonell. Prime Minister, if you were the boss, if you were the boss of a business and there'd been an alleged rape on your watch and this incident we heard about last night on your watch, your job would probably be in a bit of jeopardy, wouldn't it? Doesn't it look like you've lost control of your ministerial staff here? And then we got this follow-up question from the federal political reporter from the evil right-wing Murdoch newspaper, The Australian. Um, how is it that you did not know about the alleged rape of Dr Higgins in Lindsay Reynolds' office, and yet you, you know about some incident that's happened in the media or, you know, among journalists, and have now aired that publicly, um, despite that it may be being against the, the wishes of the victim? We don't know. <sighs> the poor man. They always have a twist on everything. He simply cannot win. Well, I, I knew that was brought to my attention late last night. And, and the issue of Brittany Higgins was only brought to my attention on the 15th of February, as I've, as I've said. I mean, the suggestion was made by a member of the press gallery that um, things like this don't happen in the media. And I think that would, I think that would, be, I think that would be unfair. Olivia Casely is the reporter's name, and she was so chuffed with herself, she decided to tweet out her question and the PM's answer right after the news conference. Following his tense exchange with Andrew Clennell, I asked Scott Morrison to explain how he knows about an anonymous press gallery HR complaint, but was never told by anyone in his own office or Linda Reynolds about a rape on her ministerial couch. Watch his response. News Limited issued a press release denying any investigation was underway, but the press release was very confusingly worded. It accused the PM of conflating two incidents, but it only named one of them. Maybe clarity will emerge later. Nevertheless, the Prime Minister issued an apology Wednesday morning. All of this apologising kind of reminded me of this little comedy sketch from BBC Comedy Scotland. Our podcast listeners can just imagine the visual of the offended person standing beside the spokesperson in this sketch The scene is of a chief of police giving a press conference. Uh, I'm delighted uh, to be joined by a member of the Chinese community as I uh, apologise for using the phrase uh, Chinese whispers. I appreciate that this is deeply offensive to the Chinese. Uh, I I completely understand why they went totally mental. I'm delighted uh, to be joined by a mental health campaigner to witness my apology for using the phrase they've gone mental. I can see some of you are... uh, Surprised that I'm apologising, but no. 
Gone were the days when getting an apology out of me was like getting a fiver out of an Aberdonian, eh? I would like to apologise uh, to the largest Aberdonian community, the Aberdonians. Uh, I do understand that uh, Aberdonian feelings are important. I'm surprised, actually, that our diversity officer didn't make that clear to me. Honestly, sometimes around here it's like the blind leading the blind. I would like to apologise to Scotland's blind community. I hear your concerns and I promise you they will not fall on deaf ears. I would like to apologise to the deaf community. I would like to say sorry. When I realised what I said, I, honestly, I had a fit. I apologise unreservedly to all of the epileptics in Scotland for my use of the word fit. I, I completely understand why you've got a bee in your bonnet. I would like to apologise to anyone connected with bees or the wider bee community. Bees, indeed, are a vital part of society. I tried my best to get to a statement that, that wouldn't offend anyone. I, I really did. But do you know, when, when me and my advisers get together, honestly, it's like two bald men fighting over a comb. I would like to apologise to Scotland's bald community, of which I am a member. I would like to apologise and exonerate myself. Chief, I'm sorry. Chief, you're forgiven. I was particularly pleased with my final apology because I could uh, apologise and accept the apology at the same time. I do like to kill two birds with one stone. I would like to apologise to the entire avian community for my cruel and insensitive words. I'm sorry. BBC Scotland comedy there. A little bit too close to home, perhaps. Honestly, why would anybody want to be a politician in this country with all the respect that we give them? It is the media's job to hold politicians' feet to the fire and to act as the fourth estate and keep them honest. But their first job is just to report the damn news and try to be fair, not to go on personal biased witch hunts like this one from the ABC's Laura Tingle on the 7.30 report. Now forgive me the indulgence. Forgive me this indulgence. I want women to have at least the same opportunities and the same voice and the same safety as men in this country. Actually, Prime Minister, the women of Australia may not forgive you this indulgence. Those women may be wondering what exactly the Prime Minister has been doing for the past month and what sick culture has been allowed to develop within the government and within Parliament House under his watch as Prime Minister since 2018. Lara, Laura, whatever your name is, here's a wake-up call for you. Scott Morrison is not in his job to run your little offices at Parliament House. It's his job to run Australia. Slightly more important, don't you think? Parliament House is being badly run, and he's overseeing the fix of it, albeit a bit late. Let's recap what we have learned since that day a month ago when the story first broke that a young woman had allegedly been raped in Parliament House exactly two years ago today. Oh yes, let's recap, shall we? We have learned that the story of what happened in the wake of the alleged assault, starting with the sacking of the alleged perpetrator for a security breach, has been seriously and repeatedly challenged. Oh no, wow. You mean there wasn't just one narrative about the Higgins rape allegation? You mean that people actually had different recollections and approaches and opinions about the handling of something like that? How outrageous, how unexpected. Scott Morrison should be sacked immediately. Next. We have learned of historical rape allegations involving the country's first law officer. Ooh, sounds terrible. 
But she forgot to mention the allegations of 33 years old, came from a woman suffering mental illness and had been vehemently denied by the accused. But, yeah, details, details. We have learned of a culture in Parliament House where building staff understand that they are not to make it their business when they find a naked, intoxicated young woman in an office. Once they have established, she is still breathing. Yeah, we probably do need an investigation into that one, but it's hardly a reason to criticise the Prime Minister of the country. It requires a review of the security code and training at Parliament House by whoever the idiot is who's running Parliament House at the moment and who should probably be sacked. Although, if the security had intervened, I'm sure the ABC would find a way to spin that as being a violation of Britney's privacy or something. The list of walking wounded in Scott Morrison's ministry is staggering. In different ways, the actions of Christian Porter, Peter Dutton, Linda Reynolds, Alan Tudge, Michaelia Cash, Stuart Robert and Michael Sukar have all been brought into question. In your humble opinion, Lara, Laura, whatever your name is, and this is where I have a big problem with this kind of editorial approach to the news appearing on the nationally taxpayer-funded broadcaster. This is in what we call in journalism a hatchet job, a construct. It's full of circular logic and innuendo, personal interpretations, opinions, linking a whole bunch of sound bites together and questionable allegations together to apply some kind of systemic underlying problem, which is a bit of a stretch to say the least. It has no place on a taxpayer-funded national broadcaster. If Lala wants to express her personal opinions and theories, she can do so like the rest of us and pay for it herself or work for a privately funded media organisation, but not on your tax dime. Prime Minister, you cannot win with these people. The only way to fix this is by recognising that loud identity politics left do not represent all of Australia. Your 2019 victory should have shown you this. It's time for radical reform of the ABC and our woke education system. Make no mistake, this is an existential issue for your Prime Ministership, the Coalition Government and maybe the country's future as a Liberal nation. And a little respect for the Australian public and their choice of leadership from the ABC would be nice too. We didn't vote for the Liberal Party because we care about the sexual antics of children's staffers at Parliament House. We voted for them because of their free market liberal ideology and the way they run the economy and the government. But don't bother focusing on that or anything. That's real news. Literal tosses in Parliament House behaving like the worst kind of 14-year-old schoolboys doesn't make it easy for those of us fighting the rampant misandry and man-hating culture in Australia. Just put Mr. Happy back in your stupid pants and grow up and get the hell out of our Parliament House and political machine while you're at it. I think we need to hire people over 40 to be advisors to our MPs and ministers from now on. This show doesn't approve of any kind of racism or sexism. Any criticism I have of modern anti-racists and feminists is criticism of their Marxist critical theory approach, commonly known as wokeism, and the idea that the solution for all sexism and racism needs to come from the state or the government or more rules and regulations. There is racism in our society and it needs to stop. Some of the attacks on Asian people I've heard about lately are not pretty. There was a case in Brisbane of an Aussie Chinese mother whose daughter was spat on at an LD supermarket because the pig who committed that assault had in his tiny, tiny brain some kind of connection between COVID and Asian people. Burr. Flus come from everywhere. SARS-1 started in Canada. One of the worst flus in Hong Kong when I lived there was called Sydney Influenza A. We named them according to where they start. And even, as I believe, the Chinese government's communist nonsense is somehow responsible for the flu getting out of that lab in Wuhan, and it didn't come from the animal kingdom, as the pathetic WHO investigation found, 
To attack Chinese people in Australia because of that is idiotic. To attack Asian people generally is both idiotic and ignorant. Thank God most Aussies, the vast majority, are not racist. So don't worry, I haven't become all woke and I'm not about to suggest we have a systemic racism problem and need big government intervention. But racists do exist and they just need to grow up and shut up. Which brings me to men who think it's okay to sexually assault or harass women. Almost every woman in this country seems to have a claim of sexual harassment at work. What's going on? Even if some of these claims are some kind of virtue signaling or attention seeking or faux outraged by the brainwashed woke kids, there's plenty of real ones to be concerned about. So who are the blokes doing this stuff? It's pretty simple. You don't touch women at work and you don't speak to them of sexual matters at work and you keep your flirting out of the office. And if you do like someone at work, and I know it's where a lot of people meet their significant other, then when you're at a social gathering together, politely ask them out. And if they say no, fall over yourself to make sure you be extra nice to them at work on work matters and do not take it out of them in any way or make them feel even slightly uncomfortable, especially if you're in a position of authority over them. Why is this bleedingly obvious stuff so damn hard for some people to understand? Now, again, I say most Aussie men are not sexual harassers or abusers. So don't worry, I haven't gone all woke. And I'm not about, again, to suggest that we have a systemic sexism problem and need big government to intervene. But the few men who do do this stuff need to grow up and stop it. We can't fight the rise of this man-hating wokeism and misandry that's rife in this country while you 0.1% of men keep behaving like you haven't yet evolved from apes. The public service and our politicians are a machine that will always seek to grow itself. Unless we push on them from the outside not to grow and spend and create debt and to just leave us alone, leave the private sector, the economy and we the people to our own devices. People who like to control things for a living, though, will always take more control and power if we give it to them. It doesn't seem to matter which party's in power. Government feeds government. And it's up to us, the people, to fight for our freedom every single day. The game is rigged. Ultimately, we probably can't win. But we must delay the horrible inevitable. So they make rules and laws, and then they increase their own budgets and staffing levels, and then they make even more rules and laws, and then they increase their own budgets and staffing levels, and they make even more rules and laws, and on and on it goes, until you pretty soon can't walk down the street or buy a certain drink at a certain bar after 11 p.m. You can't do this, you can't do that. You've got to hand over your license to go into a bar in Brisbane. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And now they're coming for the most intimate parts of our lives and our most sacred freedoms, like Mick Fuller, the New South Wales Police Commissioner, and his sexual consent app. Former Labor leader Mark Latham summed up the stupidity of it all on the Bolt Report on Sky News. Someone like myself, married for 20 years to make love to your partner, you've got to stop at the moment of foreplay and say, hang on, what, what, what? I've got to uh, log into my app here. Talk about a mood breaker. Talk about driving down the birth rate um, <laughs> with that particular <laughs> manoeuvre. And you're into your app and then you're supposed mm -hmm. to resurrect where you're at. Now, this is uh, the wackiest, zaniest intrusion of government power. And to make it worse, Mick Fuller has said, all this data would be held by uh, a private company. So great news for the Chinese, oh. I suppose. Great oh. news for the extortion oh my God. industry as well. Oh, mate, Andrew, I didn't even know that detail. That's bizarre. Yeah, private That's company, weird. private company, yeah, oh. holds, the, uh, holds the data. So how good is that? How good are consent apps? Have the people who come up with these ideas even read George Orwell's 1984? At least Commissioner Fuller admitted himself 
that it was perhaps the dumbest idea he'd ever had upon reflection. Good on you, Mick. You wouldn't know we lived in one of the greatest countries on earth at one of the greatest times in history to be alive. The world has never known less poverty and more equality of opportunity than it does today. It truly is a miracle time, especially in the Western democratic world. So how about we all have a little gratitude, a little counting of our blessings before we start the critical theory stuff. There are more serious things to be worrying about too. We have massive floods in the country right now. Our thoughts are with our regular guest, Alexandra Marshall and her family, whose farm is a meter underwater at least as we speak. And we have a serious military threat right on our doorstep. More on that in a second. But first, why is it the people who make sweeping crazy statements about the impact of climate change never seem to be held accountable for their comments? In a Herald Sun editorial, Andrew Bolt notes that Tim Flannery, Australia's former chief climate commissioner in 2005, predicted Sydney's dams could be empty in just two years because of global warming drying up the rains. In 2007, Flannery stepped up the scare, claiming global warming made the soil so hot that even the rain that falls isn't actually going to fill our dams and river systems. Instead, the Warragamba Dam is overflowing now, it overflowed last year, and it overflowed in 2012. So the man is routinely, monumentally wrong. But there's no humility from this bloke. As Bolt notes, he's just been named as a speaker at the taxpayer-funded Sydney Writers' Festival to peddle his last book. The left-wing political activist group Get Up, who routinely terrify our children with scary campaigns based on flimsy science, had Flannery on a podcast in November with, guess who? Malcolm, the woker-than-woke Turnbull. See if you can sense the humility and contrition from them both in these clips from that interview. Flannery has no political bias whatsoever, as, as you'll see. I, yeah, I've had a, I've been a half-a-lifetime experience doing that, talking to people um, and listening to people, and listening is the biggest part of it. Um, but, you know, there's some people you just need to get out of the way. And Tony Abbott was one of those. And I played a small role in moving him on. I know there's other people who want to move Craig Kelly on and, and so forth. If we'd had just three victories of independence instead of the one we had, there'd be a very different government in Australia today. So I just ask people to get active in that space. That's the often wrong scaremongering Tim Flannery. As Andrew Bolt asks in his editorial, check for yourself. Have you heard a single ABC presenter mention that Warragamba has again made a fool of Flannery? This is the scaremonger who in 2008 warned of a world five years from now when there's no more ice over the Arctic, who predicted Perth would become the world's first ghost metropolis through lack of water, and who claimed that we'd see cyclones more frequently in the future. In fact, the Arctic ice and Perth are still there, and we've had fewer cyclones, not more, writes Bolt. Well, I say thank God for Bolt and the Murdoch media. If GetUp and those two wobbly ex-Prime Ministers, Malcolm and Kevin, had their way, we'd have no conservative media in Australia at all. Listen to Carla McGrath, one of the heads of GetUp, ask Mr Turnbull about you that. You know, Malcolm, you've been pretty uh, active recently in, in criticising Murdoch's editorial line and the damage it's doing. <clears throat> um, does action on climate change require further me uh, media regulation to really break the influence of that huge empire? Oh, yeah. That's just what we need. Get up deciding what we can and cannot watch on TV and read in the newspaper. These people have zero self-critique or humility. None. They're as dangerous as can be. 
as the lefties who ruined the world at the start of the 20th century. At least Malcolm stood up for free speech, sort of. Uh, the, 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 you know, look, the reality is we believe in freedom of speech it's, and, and I don't think we're ever going to walk away from that. So in that respect, uh, you know, Mr Murdoch is entitled to express uh, whatever views he likes, but, um, you know, we don't want to have the government regulating the content of newspapers or broadcasts or, you know, anything like that. I mean, that's, that's, that's a road we don't want to go down, full stop. But I think what we do have to do is hold them to account. Oh, the irony. We have to hold them to account. But Tim Flannery? No, no, he can continue to say whatever he likes, even if it's as ridiculous and idiotic as this. I'm just saying, I can imagine us running the, the media industry a bit like we do racing. You know, we'd have um, the stewards who have, they have unlimited power. They can do anything, you know. I'd, I'd vote for John Doyle as a steward of the media industry who could, you know, <laughs> inflict unlimited uh, uh, consequences upon those who strayed from what he saw as the righteous way. We might replace the person every six months, but we need something. To, to, you know, to, to strike some fear into the heart of those who try to corrupt our democracy. Honestly, the lack of self-awareness is astounding. The hypocrisy is unbelievable. Imagine if Tim Flannery's views had no counter. He would be wrong time after time after time with zero pushback. Speaking of authoritarian one-party government-controlled media states and the utter hypocrisy of the left, this week, our friendly neighbourhood communists, the People's Republic of China, had the audacity to have a go at the United States for its social injustices at home, playing on the divisions in Western culture. And while we fight amongst ourselves over woke trivia, China gets stronger. And don't think they're not stirring the pot here in Australia and in America too. Last week, we reported on how the top US commander in the Indo-Pacific had warned that China is rapidly stepping up its efforts to supplant American military power in Asia. Hong Kong and Xinjiang and Tibet and the line of actual control in the South China Sea and the East China Sea. I worry that they're accelerating their ambitions um, to, be, to supplant the United States um, and our leadership role in the rules-based international order, which... They've long said that they want to do that by 2050. I'm worried about them moving that target closer. Taiwan is clearly um, one of their ambitions before that. And I think the threat is manifest during this decade, in fact, in the next six years. That was Admiral Philip Davidson, the head of the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command, speaking in testimony before the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee. So he thinks, in summary, China will attack Taiwan in some way, before 2027. Now, this could spark an all-out war in the Indo-Pacific, and with that war being fought on biological, technical, and traditional grounds, it's likely the US and our other allies will be too busy fighting on the home front to be helping us out. We also shared last week that the new US Secretary of State, the equivalent of our Foreign Affairs Minister, Antony Blinken, and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, we're off to visit key allies, Japan and South Korea, for talks about how to manage China and North Korea. And that when that trip was over, that Blinken would be heading off to Alaska for talks with his Chinese counterparts. If you were worried that the Biden administration might turn out to go easy on China, as I was, it seems initially at least that they are prepared to take a very tough stand. Once again, we're not going to edit this down like the mainstream broadcast media do because it's very important. 
Here's Blinken's opening remarks to that meeting in Alaska this week with the Chinese Foreign Ministry. Our administration uh, is committed to leading with diplomacy, to advance the interests of the United States, and to strengthen the rules-based international order. We'll also discuss our deep concerns with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States, economic coercion toward our allies. Each of these actions threaten the rules-based order that maintains global stability. That's why they're not merely internal matters and why we feel an obligation uh, to raise these issues uh, here today. Uh, I said that the United States relationship with China will be competitive where it should be, collaborative where it can be, adversarial where it must be. So that's good, strong stuff. And this bit from the United States National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, was good news for Australia. We do not see conflict, but we welcome stiff competition and we will always stand up for our principles, for our people and for our friends. Well, Yang Jiechi, China's foreign affairs director, hit back just as hard, saying, on cyber attacks, let me say that whether it's the ability to launch cyber attacks or the technologies that could be deployed, the US is the champion in this regard. So we hope that when talking about universal values or international public opinion on the part of the United States, we hope that the US side will think about whether it feels reassured saying those things because the US does not represent the world, only the government of the United States. Ouch. Well, I think the values of freedom, liberty, and basic human rights are pretty universal, Yang, me old mate. And if you ask the oppressed Chinese groups, they'd agree. That's if they were allowed to speak out without their relatives being tortured or killed or even allowed to vote. Blinken chastised the Chinese side for grandstanding and exceeding their allotted time in their opening remarks. And he even told the media to hang around to listen to his response. Councillor, um, given your extended remarks, permit me please to add uh, just a few of my own before we get down to, to work. And I know Mr. Sullivan may have a few things to say as well. Um, I have to tell you, in my, my short time as Secretary of State, I've spoken to, I think, nearly 100 counterparts uh, from around the world. And I just made uh, my first trip, uh, as I noted, to uh, Japan and South Korea. Uh, I have to tell you, what I'm hearing is very different from what you described. But Mr. Yang fired back indignantly. Well, I think we thought too well of the United States. We thought that the U.S. side will follow the necessary diplomatic protocols. So for China, it was necessary that we make our position clear. So let me say here that in front of the Chinese side, the United States does not have the qualification to say that it wants to speak to China from a position of strength. The US human rights issues are deeply rooted. It didn't just exist during the past four years. The slaughter of African Americans has also been a problem. So, now do you see how neo-Marxist movements like BLM and Extinction Rebellion and radical feminism can cause damage to our national security in the West? 
giving ammunition to despicable governments like the Chinese Communist Party to hit us over the head with moralizing rubbish during challenging negotiations. Many people within the United States actually have little confidence in the democracy of the United States, and they have various views regarding the government of the United States. We do not believe in invading through the use of force or to topple other regimes through various means or to massacre the people of other countries because all of those would only cause turmoil and instability in this world. It is important for the United States to change its own image and to stop advancing its own democracy in the rest of the world. Sounds lovely. Unfortunately, it's all a load of BS. So here's the thing about dealing with China's communist government. Never, ever pay attention to what they say. Watch only what they do. Ignore what they say and act upon their actions. It's important to understand the concept of baijiu in Chinese culture to understand what we're dealing with here. Fox News anchor Tucker Carlson explained it to his viewers this week. So there you have the Chinese government using Black Lives Matter as a weapon against the United States. You have the Chinese lecturing us about human rights. You never thought you'd see the day that happened. But the amazing thing is in 2021, it works. That's why they do it. The Chinese know our leaders very well. In fact, they have a name for our self-hating professional class. They call them Baisa. The rough translation for the Mandarin is white liberal, and it is definitely not a compliment. Here's how Chinese state media describe Baisa. Quote, there are people who only care about topics such as immigration, minorities, LGBT, and the environment, who have no sense of real problems in the real world, who only advocate for peace and equality to satisfy their own feelings of moral superiority and who are so obsessed with political correctness that they tolerate backward Islamic values for the sake of multiculturalism. As Chinese state media notes, quote, former U.S. President Obama was considered an advocate of Baisaw ideology. So was German Chancellor Angela Merkel in her decision to welcome more than one million third world immigrants to Europe, end quote. Other observations about Baisa, as reported by Chinese state media, include the fact that they, quote, advocate inclusiveness and anti-discrimination, but cannot tolerate different opinions. Baisa's political opinions are, quote, so shallow that they tend to maintain social equality by embracing ideologies that run against the basic concept of equality. Amazing. According to one scholar from P Peking University, Baisa are phony and hypocritical and will make the situation in the West go from bad to worse, and so on. Talk about insightful. They know our leaders well. Basically, Baizhou is the Chinese way of saying, we're laughing our heads off at how dumb you Western people are with your woke identity politics garbage, and we're going to take advantage of it and use it against you. Don't expect the woke kids to wake up to it anytime soon, though. So, Joe Biden fell up the stairs of Air Force One and everyone's having a fit. It's not that Biden fell up the stairs so much as the fact that when Trump walked carefully down a steep ramp 
because it had rained one day back in June last year, all of the media in America saw fit to write about it. Dave Rubin of US online show The Rubin Report had this to say this week about how differently the media seemed to be covering Biden compared to the bad orange man. Okay, so obviously we know what the media is going to do. They're either going to ignore it or cover up for it. As I said, the White House said it had something to do with the wind. It had nothing to do with the wind. So what I did, I took a video, I Googled it on my phone. I, you know, something about uh, Trump uh, falling down the stairs or Trump, uh, what was the exact phrase that I used? Let's pull it up there. Yeah, we can pull it up. I want to get the exact, I want to quote myself correctly. It was Trump going down the ramp, something to that effect. That's what I put in Google. And then I just did a video. So you're looking at the video right now and we're just scrolling through. And there's page after page of articles, uh, you know, worrying about Trump's health because he walked down the ramp slowly. And it's New York Times and it's WAPO, Washington Post, it's CNN, it's Yahoo, it's New York Magazine, it's People Magazine, it's Vanity Fair, it's Forbes. It's the whole bunch of them. Let's just show that again because... uh, I think it's worth noting, like there's just like an endless amount of articles. This literally took me one second to do. And it's like, do you think now that all of these places that I just mentioned, the New York Times, Washington Post, Vanity Fair, CNN, do you think they're gonna be writing articles about Biden's health and how this is evidence of something as they did with Trump? Of course not. And that's why this is the bigger issue. That's why I spend so much time talking about the media because it doesn't matter in a way in a very depressing way, what is true if we can't get to what is true because the media causes a filter for you to see certain things one way and then when it goes against their narrative, to see it another way. Dave Rubin says the New York Times did write a piece in its news section about Biden falling. Here's what it said. So the New York Times today, in response, they finally did comment on the Joe Biden falling thing, which by the way, Twitter trends, last I checked a few minutes ago, didn't even show Biden falling, even though that's all that everyone's talking about. It has like a whole bunch of other nonsense on there. But the New York Times uh, did write a piece about Biden falling. It says, President Biden was doing 100% fine after falling off balance while boarding Air Force One on Friday, according to a press secretary. The president exited the plane when he arrived in Atlanta without an issue. Okay, well, that's what the press secretary said. That sounds right. But then, of course, Drew Holden, and this is why some people hate Twitter, because we can catch you. We can catch what you guys used to do, New York Times. Here's the New York Times headline on Donald Trump uh, with the ramp. Trump's halting walk down ramp raises new health questions. The president also appeared to have trouble raising a glass of water to his mouth during a speech at West Point a day before he turned 74, the oldest a president has been in his first term. Do you see, do you see what I'm talking about there? So one is press secretary said he fell, fell, came off the plane, he was just fine. The other one, new questions. We've got questions, people. And he drank water slowly. Uh, You see? Yep, we see, Dave, we see. Dave Rubin's The Rubin Report. The link is in our program notes to that segment. People seem to be really sick of woke culture spewing out of Hollywood and the American music industry. The award show ratings are a testament to that. The Golden Globes rated fewer than 7 million viewers losing almost two-thirds of its 18 million-plus audience of the year before. And the Grammys last week were a total bomb, only 9 million viewers down from 19 million last year. Now, some of that was due to COVID, 
but not all of it. Nobody in the entertainment industry in America seems to understand why people don't want to be lectured to about morality from a bunch of fools who think that Cardi B simulating lesbian sex on stage is entertainment. US conservative commentator Ben Shapiro nailed the absolute hypocrisy and zero self-awareness of these celebrity tragics in this editorial on his show this week. I'm not sure that there is a deep connection between the quality of art that a culture produces and the morality of the culture. German culture produced some wonderful highs. But I will say this. I've yet to see a culture that produces low art and pretends that it is high art that is worthwhile, right? That, that is not a thing that... It, so just because a culture produces high art doesn't mean the culture is good. But just because a culture produces low art and that becomes the height of art, that's a pretty good indicator that you have a culture in decline. This is a culture in decline right here. And people cheering. Then a woman dancing uh, inside of a of a a box in which cash is being blown at her. This is high culture, guys. This is the height of our culture. So if I ran the zoo, very bad for your kids. Don't know. No, if I ran the zoo, Huck Finn, terrible for your children. Mark Twain has to go. Shakespeare is sexist. Shakespeare is racist. Shakespeare is old fashioned. Our new culture, however, has amazing things like this, like showing on major national television in the evening time. Full-on simulated lesbian pornography. Well done, everyone. Like, just, I feel our culture is in great hands. And by the way, if you make a joke about it, you ought to be canceled. If you make a joke about it, then we ought to go after your advertisers and get you fired. Shapiro contrasted the praise for Cardi B's high art with the condemnation of the comedian Bill Burr, who is well known for his political incorrectness. Burr appeared on the Grammys to announce a few awards, and he upset everybody by... Being white. The new Puritans are great with porn and very bad with political dissidents. And if you disagree with them, then that then you must be burned at the stake. But if you want to simulate lesbian sex acts on stage in front of millions of people, then not only is that good, that is wonderful for our culture. All right, so Bill Burr, he gets up and he makes a joke because why the hell? And he's right. He, he's, he was there to introduce the best Latino or Latina artist or something. And Bill Burr's like, why am I doing this? I'm like, a, I'm a white guy. You can see all the feminists out there already complaining about it. Here's what Bill Burr had to say. And then he trended for this. Was I the only one who wanted to kill himself during that piano solo? Uh, <laughs> I bought a suit for this. I thought I was going to be on TV. I'm such a moron. I am losing so much money right now. And the winner, uh, the Grammy goes to Natalia Lafourcade. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you, oh, I will, oh, sorry. I will accept on behalf of her. If I butchered her name, I'm sorry. All right. Hey, how many uh, feminists are like going nuts? So how, why is this cis white male doing all this Latino stuff? Okay. And people on the woke left were like, it's true. Why is that white male doing all this Latino stuff? And then commenting on it. How dare he laughing about butchering people's names? How dare he? Right. This is where the Puritanism comes out because our cultural Puritans can never allow Bill Burr to make a joke about his own inability to pronounce Latino names. You can never, sorry, Latinx names, right? You can never make a joke about that is witch burning stuff, right? He must be, he must be burned. Bill Burr is a bad man because he is cis and he is white, where the H comes before the W, white. That's Ben Shapiro with a fair take on the hypocrisy of the woke music industry. 
Now, I started the show this week uh, chastising men who sexually harass women at work. We talked about the romance-killing Orwellian idea of a consent app on today's show. Flirtation doesn't belong in the workplace, but flirtation in real life outside work is still legal, I think. I haven't checked lately, to be honest. But anyway, government needs to stay out of people's bedrooms and sex lives. It's all way too complicated. I thought we'd take our comedy bit this week from Bill Burr in honour of his performance at the Grammys. Here's some of Bill Burr's comedy from about five years ago, I think. No means no, that's another one. No means no. It's like, no, it doesn't. All right? Look, look, no means no. No, that means no. All right, but no, stop it. What are you doing? Oh, my God. You're being so bad. Stop it. No. Yeah, that's not a fucking no. That means I want to do it, but I'm afraid you're going to judge me, so I'm just going to make it look like it was your idea so you don't figure out that I've already performed this act with 40 other people. Right? But then, then you go to court and you get a bad read and there's some guy reading it. Oh, your Honor, she said no. Stop it. What are you doing? You're being so bad. Yeah, and you just sit me like, she didn't say it like that. She didn't say it like that. So, I'm sick of Obama's wife. Yeah. This isn't some Republican rant either. It's just kind of first ladies in general. You know, I don't know what it is. All throughout my life, with each presidency, like these first ladies, they've just gotten more and more like, like, uh, like chatty. You know? More and more chiming in, like leaning into the frame, spitting out their ideas. It's like, well, why are you talking? Right? You weren't elected. Shut up. Your husband's not running a lemonade stand here. He's running the country. You don't just chime in. Let me guess, is this considered sexist? It is? Why? Well, okay, you just nodded there, lady. Let me ask you this, all right? Let's say you had a leak in your house, okay? You call a plumber up, he shows up, and he goes, yeah, I think the leak's coming from the upstairs bathroom. We need to shut it up, blah, blah, Then all of a sudden, his wife walks in, who isn't a plumber. And then goes, hey, you know, I'm actually thinking it's kind of... Wouldn't you be like, with all due respect, shut the f- up. I need a plumber in this moment. I'll extend an olive branch here. All right, at some point, there's going to be the first female president, right? Exactly. Which means, at that moment, you're gonna have the first male first lady, right? (laughs) And when that happens, that dude needs to shut his trap. I don't wanna hear a word out of him. I wanna hear from the president. You, sir, go do some first lady stuff, all right? (laughs) Go get yourself some gloves that go up to your elbows. Smile and nod during speeches. Go put your own flair, redecorate in the White House, right? Which leads you to Michelle Obama, right? Now she's sitting there holding up those hashtags. Remember that hashtag, bring back our girls? Remember that? It's like, I, it blew my mind. It's like, why are you showing me that? I'm a stand-up comedian. Like, what am I gonna do to get those girls back? Why don't you look across the dinner table? It's like, you see that guy? That is the leader of the free world. Tell him to pick up a phone. Call some Navy SEALs and solve it. What what am I going to do? 
show up with a sharpened mic stand. Hey, Michelle said to bring him back. That's the outrageous Bill Burr. I think it's okay to still be outrageous, right? Doing a little thing we used to call comedy there. See you next week. And don't forget to subscribe on all platforms and tell your friends to help us grow. Stay free and don't let the woke kids get you down.